And hey, it's Lou here, and welcome to a special edition of Shade, where I'll be in conversation with the artist Laria Champong. Larry's most recent solo exhibition, Wayfinder, showed this summer at the Turner Contemporary Gallery in Margate. He currently serves on the Board of Trustees at the Institute of International Visual Arts, facilitating art policies in the UK and internationally. And he also holds a place on the Board of Trustees for the Elephant Trust. And Larry and I are talking today about arts education. And we'll share not only our personal experiences, but also how our collective education journeys, our practice and our careers are affected by race. And we're reflecting now because the Runnymede Trust, which is the UK's leading race equality think tank, has partnered with Freelands Foundation to launch Visualise, which is the first major research commission into race and inclusion in art education which you can participate in by visiting the Runnymede Trust website at runnymedetrust.org. And if you haven't got a pen and paper, don't worry, it will all be in the show notes. Now, this research is really important. In particular, I want to stress that the research cannot be fully representative without participation from individuals like me and you. So if you're an artist, educator, curator, historian gallerist or if you work in a community art organisation, submit your evidence and here's the link again, runnymedetrust.org and search for Visualise in the menu. Tell us about the gaps in your own arts education and what you see happening around you now. Tell us about the relationships you had with art teachers and how that affected your arts journey. So if you respond to the Running Me Trust call for evidence and share your experiences of access initiatives and funding and what you want to see change from education through to leadership, then do so by following the links in the podcast description. Your voice is really important. The closing date for submissions is the 31st of October and the final report with your responses will be published in early 2023. Following the report, the Running Me Trust will work with teachers, exam boards and artists to formulate this research to understand representation in teaching. The report will propose interventions to address the issue and work in partnership with policymakers, funders and educators across the UK. So before we launch into the chat with Larry, here's a statistic on where we are in terms of arts education at the moment. This is read by a year nine art student and she will pop back with more info later in the episode. Minority ethnic young people are decreasingly represented in student populations and in the visual arts sector despite higher than average engagement in visual arts at secondary school and being more likely to enter higher education than their white counterparts. Let's find out why that might be happening in Lou's conversation with Dari Achampong. So nice of you to join me today on Shade Podcast to talk about this Runnymead and Freelands piece of research, Larry. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Lou. Thank you for inviting me. This is really important work you're doing. And yeah, just really glad to be a part of this. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. And on this podcast, we always have a focus on how art empowers individuals and communities to express their ideas and their experiences, which ultimately helps us connect with each other and the world around us. And we create spaces within art where people can feel celebrated and inspired. 
But what we need to really think about sometimes is how our early experiences of making and learning can ignite a lifelong relationship with art. And it's so important that the visual arts are a space that is accessible to all. So everybody reaps those benefits, if you like. I'm really interested in your personal experience, Larry, and wondering why art education has been important to you. And I'm wondering how art first emerged as an interest for you. And then what role did your education play in either supporting or challenging your interest as your art interest developed? I guess the thing that's that's always been important to me is is, is stories, but also stories of of like multiplicities, like in terms of like backgrounds, um, diversity of of of, of backgrounds and and experiences. But um, I guess as somebody who's I'm still young black man, but like having grown up in um, in East London and then also in Essex, coming from a background where part of the um, the political underclass or you know experienced poverty and work my way through the working class and what have you. It's just the importance of the availability of access to stories, you know, and information and, and, and a space to be able to disseminate, you know. I grew up with a family in which, you know, my mum, she would play high life records and things. I'd get taken to church every Sunday. I grew up in an area where people were creating sounds that became garage which became you know what we know as grime now these forms of art have always in the art scene kind of been spoken about as like low art culturally speaking because of where they come from you know whereas the high art is like white middle upper class kind of you know ideas experiences feelings etc and it's been important in yeah my life's work really to not not to try and prove the obvious but to first of all create and generate more of these stories that I believe need to be heard and should be heard. And then secondly, create a way in which those stories can also be engaged with beyond these kinds of contested spaces, galleries, for example. I certainly couldn't like put my hand on heart and say, you know, there weren't people who were kind of like supportive of me, even as a, as, as a youngster. You know, there are people in, uh, in my secondary school, funnily enough, I'm being invited to go and, um, you know, present an award for some students soon. And, you know, they've been watching my career kind of opening up. And obviously it's the reason why they've invited me because they're bringing back a, a, an ex-student who has what's seen as a flourishing career. But, you know, in, in spite of having, you know, some good teachers and then even, you know, a couple of good tutors here and there and the, the BA and the MA that I did, the system by which I was working within was not helpful. And then also with that, not all of the teachers or the tutors, you know, really believed in me or, or, or what I did. You know, if we start with um, university degree level, I was never seen as one of those kind of students who was going to go far. The interesting thing when you, when you do an art course is there's something about the culture of kind of like, you know, I don't know, going and having drinks with, with your tutor or whatnot. I'm not an alcohol drinker, so I wouldn't go to like the bar or whatnot. My relationship with tutors, I kind of saw that as, I guess, the equivalent of the way that a karate car kind of sees to their sensei. You know what I mean? You look up to them. Yeah, maybe I'll, I'll go and have a meal or something like years later when all this work is done and whatnot, but not while studying. I know that culture is different. That's a cultural thing. The fact of my blackness and also class-wise as well, 
those are such big things. I was one of the few black students on both courses, both BA and MA. By the time I got to MA, I was the only black man um, in, in, in the course. And we're talking about hundreds of students across sculpture, media, and painting without even going into the detail of the types of artists that were invited, because most of them were white, I can literally count on one finger how many black artists I remember seeing or who I even had a tutorial with. I can remember actually who it was. It was uh, Harold Effe, who, who, who gave me a great tutorial. It was, it was one of the best conversations. Shout out to Harold, because, because Harold must have done loads of tutorials with students like myself, like thinking excuse my language, but like, what the hell, like, is going on here? Like, we are in, uh, in a minority and we're also treated lesser than. We're not spoken to about artists that are coming from similar backgrounds who may be alive, let alone those historically speaking. And we've got to fight harder to exist from that, that aspect through to BA level, where in that case, I felt like I was fighting, like, against, like, the, the, the status quo students, you know, white middle upper class students who they were doing the MA and it was known in conversation, they were doing this MA because it's the easy MA in, in inverted commas. Do you know what I mean? And secondary school, I mean, you know, again, class-wise, nobody would talk about art being a, an actual vocation because there's no evidence kind of given of people from my kind of background, like making any money, let alone even like white folk from working class backgrounds, for example. So it was tough. It was tough. It was not easy, like even trying to find artists from like, you know, the likes of the BLK collective, the likes of Keith Piper through to Eddie Chambers, you know, it was hard. And you had to be resourceful to a point of almost perfection even. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, mania also. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think your experience resonates with so many of us and you're talking about it and some people might think oh well maybe that was in like the 70s mm. we're not talking mm. <laughs> <laughs> like you know when are we talking about here I mean we're talking like what uh, early, early to mid 2000s and the thing is as well I would say you know yeah sure things might have changed a bit with technology and whatnot but they haven't really changed on that cultural level and I say like with five years experience of having taught at, at the Royal College of Art being in a similar position as the likes of like Harold, as he did for me, being there for students whom are just like whacked the hell out in terms of like being in a place where they feel they belong. Because it's hard enough trying to, you know, find your way creatively, artistically and whatnot. And then you've got to deal with all that other baggage of the uh, macro and microaggressions of, of racism from students right through to faculty stuff. It's real. I don't know, like I don't have an issue like, saying this as much but I remember I, there'd become a point where I'd almost just keep my mouth shut and just get on with work because I just felt that the white tutors and students just weren't understanding me so it's like why am I why am I even bothering with with you lot I'm just gonna make what I'm doing or there even came to a point actually when 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 I was on my MA where there was work that I was making I was developing I didn't show that on the course it was like there was there was multiple sides to the makeup of me they were all true but I didn't want to show some of the work that I was doing quite simply because I didn't want it to get um, colonised. There's a lot, I think, that we as young budding black practitioners, whether that's in terms of curatorial future or, or, or that as, a, a, as an artist, have to deal with. And I, and I certainly see and, and continue to come into contact with people, even come to me for advice, people who email me, people I don't even know. I understand 
all of that, particularly what you were saying about your positioning, Harold's positioning, particularly as teachers within institutions. I have a similar experience. I teach periodically at Central St. Martins. And I'm very aware that my presence is having an effect not just in the content that I'm sharing or the education that I'm giving, but in my position as a as a black woman teaching. And I'm very aware of the low majority of students that I'm teaching are from black backgrounds or, or, or minority ethnic backgrounds. The majority of students um, teaching staff are white. There must be a reason for that. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But what you said really resonates and I understand. And before we started recording, we were also talking about how we are parents and we are also aware what it's like for children coming up through the secondary school education system at the moment, key stage three and key stage four. And I think that your experiences um, on your MA and your BA probably resonate also with those students studying art at school. And what we see in the um, statistics are that there's a great interest in studying art and design at key stage three and key stage four level at school among black minority ethnic groups. But that trend does not continue. There's not an uptake in taking courses onto university level. And we'll talk about that. But I think how you've described your experience will give a very clear insight as to what that's about. But I think it's interesting to look at the stats sometimes to see what we're talking about in terms of what the children are experiencing in UK schools at the moment when it comes to studying art. The Department of Education say that 31% of children in UK schools were from, in quotes, minority ethnic backgrounds. And those students were introduced to visual arts by teachers who are 94% white. And the art curriculum is obviously open to interpretation by teachers, which means that they bring their own cultural references into the classroom, whether that would be positive or negative ones, you know, ones that support all of the students or perhaps ones that exclude the students. One of the art exam boards is um, AQA. They provide the art curriculum for UK schools. They provide a list of books, um, to aid the teachers. There's a list of 265 books that will help the teachers deliver their art and design classes. And less than 5% of these books explore the works of culturally diverse artists. This is the environment that children are currently in. You have talked about this, but I just wonder how, how the diversity of our teachers and our curriculum practically affects our engagement within the arts. What's going on with the curriculum there? And do you remember the kind of works that you were presented with that were there to supposedly inspire you, you know, works from other artists and how you felt when you received that information and how you actually inspired yourself if you weren't able to from the information that you were being provided? I'm going to be honest with you. Firstly, I'm not really surprised at those um, statistics. Mm. I'm not. Because you're listening to somebody who, who lived that reality as well. We share a, a connection in, in, in the sense of also being black parents. Mm. I'm very you know, instrumental in, in, in the upbringing of my children. You know, I've, <laughs> I've had so many visits, both through primary school and secondary school. I bet. You know, even now with my son, me and his mum, we're going we're gonna to go down to school mm. tomorrow. And it's because of the problems that the school kind of creates for kids like my son. Mm. And then also, you know, I'm seeing the growing issues with regards to my daughter. They're both incredible. They have like 
different kinds of like elements of personality that have a, a desire to learn. They're creative in different ways. They learn and think in different ways. But, um, you know, without kind of like running away from the question, the kinds of artists that I was showing, and look, this is with all due respect as well, because like, you know, there, there are some incredible works and whatnot. Recently, I, I, I did my, my first major UK solo show, which included um, within it, particularly at the Turner Gallery in, in, in Margate, a collection of works by uh, JMW Turner. So, of course, Turner's work was very important in my earlier years, whether that was like secondary school through to college level. But most of the people are white men, even going into, you know, uh, was it undergrad, BA and then MA level? Yeah, sure. There were artists from, you know, other backgrounds. And, you know, that's how I managed to meet Harold. Um, I'd known about Harold's work, interestingly enough, before that, but got to actually see and talk to a living, breathing black practitioner. How old would I have been when I, when I met Harold? Like 22, like that blew my mind away. Minority ethnic artists are significantly underrepresented across public art collections. In the 31 collections that were audited by the Black Artists and Modernism Project in 2016, works by Black artists represented between just 1% and 4% of the collection. Going back to secondary school and following further on, I just never imagined that there were Black artists that existed. Yes. The only way that I'm, I, I, I managed to ask that question was uh, I won a competition at secondary school. Uh, it was an art competition, and I got one of those uh, Fiden 20th century art books. And I remember like, I, would, I, would, I would just peel right through it. Like, I love just scrolling through, looking at the images. Because I'd never, mind you, I, I'd never been to an art gallery. I didn't get to go to an art gallery till I was an adult. Mm. So for me art within a gallery space that experience didn't happen until adulthood and again that has to do with with class and race those lived experiences but um i came across the work of 21st century conceptual artist adrian piper self portrait exaggerating my negroid features i remember just like seeing the title and then seeing the sketch that adrian had done even without reading i like i i just i got it do you know what I mean? Like I got it and like I felt like what she was saying was speaking to me. It was speaking to me in terms of perception, perception through the white gaze, you know, and, and I revisit that work. I've revisited that work since upon so many others that Adrian has, has created and continues to, to still develop even. That had me in a daze and realising that this person existed, this black woman exists. That in my heart kind of told me, yeah, like, I I I want I want to do this. I want to create things, because also as well, like um, I'm the third born in my family, and in Ghanaian culture and in Ashanti culture, uh, you know, the third born on Mianza is apparently the person who kind of creates a fuss. And my issue in terms of creating trouble is like I'm always asking questions. Now, my mom will say something, and I'm like I just can't accept. That. I'm like, mum, like, <laughs> but you know, I, I I won't be quiet. And be like, yes, mum, but mum, like you know. <laughs> You know, there was no difference in relation to that of my studying trajectory at college level. You know, I had, I had, a, I had a great, a great tutor. He was, he, was, he was like my artistic father. But again, we just, all we saw really were just the white artists and white men at that. 
it wasn't till going through to like Westminster early 2000s, 2002 for 2005, where in my years leading up to the dissertation, so it had been the second year and the third year, where I, I had a great tutor and, and person who, who, who I count as a friend, uh, uh, Pete Owen, who ran uh, mm. uh, a space called City Racing Gallery in, in, in Leighton. He spoke to me about the fact that the library at University of Westminster was not going to show me the breadth of, of incredible uh, artistic talent of artists who, who are black, black women, black men, you know, queer artists. But he told me about a place called Innova, the International Institute of Visual Arts. Gave me homework to like go and travel there. Funnily enough, at the time, like it was based not far from where my mum, where she lived, where I grew up in Bethnal Green. It was in Shoreditch. I kid you not. You know, like I didn't spend time in the, uh, you know, I love books. I, I collect books. I collect periodicals and journals and graphic novels, comics. The library at University of Westminster, it, it hardly had anything on artists of colour. And so, you know, going into Innova, it was, and I say this to people, it was my mecca. It, and it still is so important to me um, on the board of trustees there. It was just amazing. Like so, so many questions that I, that I had were being fulfilled and then opening up more questions as well, finding out about the rich history, you know, whether it's looking at the likes of, you know, CAM, Caribbean artist movement through to BLK movement, the interpretation of and debate around what black art is from different perspectives, all these kinds of things. This was my, these journals of results of for text or whatnot, you know, they were my Bible or my place of finding out a connection to myself that I just couldn't get anywhere else. That is so important, like how you were saying that those resources that became absolutely crucial to your engagement with the arts and continuing to inspire you to move forward to where you are now, that inspiration came from outside mostly the school environment and that's really interesting because when we think about how important that inspiration is, those resources are, and the teachers that we have, when we look at the numbers of children studying art and design at UK mm. schools currently, compared to the support that they have, there's a real dichotomy. 40% of children studying art and design at A-levels yeah. currently are from minority ethnic backgrounds. Mm. So that's 40%, which is a higher proportion than among students across all subjects. But the proportion of these students who are entering art and design undergraduate programs drops by half. So yeah. they go through the system mm -hmm. at A-levels. Yep. Something is happening, which is, I think is the experience of what you've just described. And something is being lost along the way here. They're not being supported nurtured, understood. Indeed. And I'm curious to, to speculate on why there's such a large proportion of students at secondary school level, but the numbers are radically reducing at university level. So what's happening here, Larry? I think it's a mixture of things, Lou, you know. First of all, through the story that I explained, my own personal story, you know, visibility. Yeah. Like if, if you're trying to enter and be part of a future in which it's in your heart that you want to do. If you don't have many people around you who are from similar backgrounds or whatnot, mm. and thus that becomes a struggle, it becomes a battle, you know, being a minority. That's before them thinking about, you know, 
issues such as like you know racism or classism which which may be inflicted through curricula right you know the lack of existence so why am i therefore going to struggle through this thing that i love if i know that i'm constantly just going to be told that my stuff is not important or it's not relevant or whatnot yeah based on those people who don't even have my experience and again i'm saying that because i know this because i've had this experience not just personally but through experiences of people that i've taught whether i've visited as a tutor to many places or taught people through the years mm-hmm. i was in a really unique position in terms of the, the 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 family household that i grew up in you know my mom apart from like the kids downstairs who she would make sure they would come up to you know, our place and, and, and have food so that she knew who they were. Yes. She would otherwise just be taking us to our cousins. She wanted us to make sure that we were we were with other black people. Mm. It's difficult to see that as a kid. You just say, oh gosh, I don't want to go to yes. Auntie Edgeworth or whoever. Do you know what I mean? I want to go there for a certain amount of weeks. But they were trying to create spaces in which we could survive and thrive because there wasn't that. I remember like reading books about you know, colonialism that didn't have, you know, those, was it those barcodes or ISBN numbers and stuff? Mm. Because the people who were making them, they're not being supported by whatever authorities and whatnot. Now we have that education, which does exist online because the internet and whatnot allows that kind of possibility. But I remember going to the Saturday schools, again, learning about, you know, my heritage in, in ways that, again, it just didn't exist in curricula. It's a massive thing, actually. But it kind of twists and goes deeper as you move from the likes of secondary school through to A-level, through to undergrad and and, and postgrad. I think the violence turns up. Yeah. The mental health aspect of that, it becomes excruciating. And that's why you have students that drop out because you have directly in your face tutors that are are just telling you, well, no, (laughs) no, 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 in relation to your experience. Well, no, you know. And there's a lot of explaining that kind of takes place as well, right? Yes. Being told that your experience doesn't matter or no, that isn't your experience or no, you know. And this is the thing that I've learned in, in, in being a, a, an art tutor is that you are just as much a student as you are a teacher. Absolutely. You've got to be learning. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And you're learning from the students. So if a student's talking to you and telling you about their experience and you're simply just like, no, 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 to all of that, you know, it, it's not possibly like this. Well, what are you building on? You're not building anything. And I think that's a big issue in this, in this country. I think it's a massive issue. Again, I know people who are tutors and whatnot. It's the same conversation that's had time and again. It's just weird how it takes something in, in, in the form of, you know, a life-threatening illness in, 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 or virus for uh, there to be some, some white enlightenment around that. That is mad. That's the stuff that Hollywood films are made of or comic books, right? It does feel like you're we're living in a movie that just sort of continues to get weirder and weirder. But what I really enjoyed from you there is when you were talking about environments in which you were able to thrive, and that was particularly nurtured by your mother. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking that despite the huge success mm. of individual artists when students do develop on into working within the arts, and I'm thinking about so many of our revered artists do experience amazing success and visibility like yourself and artists like Sonia Boyce and Lavena Hamid and Steve McQueen and all of our amazing artists. But despite that, only 2.7% of the workforce currently within the arts market are from a black or ethnically diverse background. Yeah. 
And I'm just wondering in terms of that thriving, mm-hmm. you know, for you, what did support your transition from education into the working world, into becoming a practicing artist? What do you think supported that transition for you that you did become one of the very small successful numbers of artists who are thriving and encouraging and inspiring all of us? Thank you for those kind words. I do appreciate that. You know, of course, I, I, can't, I can't speak for, you know, other fellow, you know, black practitioners, but going back to the point that I made about my mum and, and, you know, her ingenuity and flow when her and my dad came to this country and, you know, in, in some respect to my dad, but, you know, it's, it's mostly my mum who, who, who gets the praise, really. That ingenuity of growing up with, of understanding that, look, there ain't no plan B here. You've got to make it right. You've got to get right through that point. You've got to go right through that middle point. You have no chances or very few. And when you grow up with that, you become resourceful. You know, I remember as a kid, like, I, I didn't get to, like, get, like, kids' magazines or gaming magazines really regularly. They were just too expensive. So I'd get something, like, like a magazine, like, every, I don't know, few months or something from money that I'd find or even, and I'm sorry, mum, like, you know now, but, like, that I would have stolen from my mum. Do you know what I mean? Like, from, yeah. from a pocket, loose change or whatever. You know, to read about the newest games coming out or and, and I was of course like educating myself, but it's that experience of being self-generative that, that again it, and that flows through my work now. If you take the way that I make make my films, for example, some people they talk to me and they think, oh, you know, like I'll get like a crew or whatnot of, of people. No. No, I'm building that stuff myself. The people that I work with, I know them. A lot of the time they're people who are my family, even. And I want to give the work to people who, who I know as well. I want to build a culture. I want to build a community. I want to build and, and, and help add to the confidence of people who, where I see that potential. But they're not going to get given that chance because class-wise they're held back or because race-wise or gender and what have you, sexuality, these things based on the societies that we grow up and live in become a hindrance to us. So tell me, why is it that I'm there for... And, and I say this rhetorically, I, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of like responding to the question why, you know, I'm not going to therefore do the whole rat race of when I make a new film. It's all about the fund. It, of course, funding's important, but really what's important to me is that the team and the unit that I surround myself with mm. and how not only I'm getting something out of it and what I'm making, but how I can also give back to them. So how, how I'm teaching skills, nurturing advice as well. You know, so it's a two-way street. It's that aspect of, of respect and building. And I, and, I, and I aim to continue to make that way. And, and, and I love making that way as well, because to me, it's, it's, it's about the culture of the community that you have a hand in uh, being responsible to and building. For me, if it, if it were just about making art, if it's just making art, then I don't know. I think, I think you know, you lose something. And to continue that, like, beautifully positive note about, community mm-hmm. I'd like to wrap this up with that thought in mind and because I've been thinking about how often we're not conscious of what will nurture us creatively or inspire us or support us until we come across it or we create it ourselves mm-hmm. as you have done with your community and you work with family and friends mm-hmm. but I was just thinking about how much I really loved your 
Turner Contemporary Exhibition this summer, Wayfinder, and I took my daughter down to Margate and friends and their children. And I was amazed at how they were sat there transfixed at the Wayfinder video and not moving and not wanting to move on to another piece. And that really warmed my heart. And then as we... My heart just hearing this. Yeah, well, and then as we exited, we went to your Turner curation and we walked around the gallery and then we exited um, where your work was, but then moved in to the gaming room that you had also created as part of the exhibition, which was a way of engaging children and families with the work. And And I loved how this directly reflects your own personal engagement with art and design. Gaming was instrumental um, yeah. for you at the start of your art journey. And, and as I've seen all these children, you know, with their headphones on, I wondered to myself, what's Larry's dream for these children mm. sitting here and as they leave the gallery today and particularly the the gaming room, yeah. what does he wish they are left with? Oh, gosh. I think a multitude of things, Lou. Firstly, I, I, I want a space where they have as little fear as possible. Now, when I go back to kind of like talking about gaming, like historically speaking, for me, you know, gaming was something that was ostracised. You know, you had... In the newspapers growing up, like reading about things like, oh gosh, is, is gaming melting the brains of our kids? And, you know, it's too violent and this and that, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, that's also related to parents who are not, shall we say, technologically inclined or even savvy. My mum, for example, thinking that this stuff's just a waste of time. I wanted to create a space where, where kids with their parents or their elders and vice versa can be in the same space. It's open up. Do you know what I mean? Right. Thinking about the, uh, the education space, because that's what it was, actually, is the uh, Turner education space. Thinking about that beyond the traditional idea of educational and where that actually plays a role within art shows. Because, again, I say this with experience of somebody who has done so many education-based projects as a practitioner. I still do some from time to time. But you realise in, in the pecking order of things, uh, education is is very low or it's in the periphery or it's simply seen as like a buzzword for funding. So in effect, the education element regarding a show ends up being some really kind of piecemeal, drab kind of afterthought. I'm like, no, like this thing needs to feel like this is the work just as much as it is the work in the way you, you treat Turner's stuff or the way that you treat my stuff as a practitioner, right? You want to be in all the spaces. You want to be in that space. But it's that communal aspect. That's the beauty that I find about gaming. That's the most important thing about gaming. Uh, in the same way that, you know, like you might read some literature and have a book group, right? Or you have people who do like movie nights and things like that. That is the phenomenon of gaming, which I don't think when it comes to the art scene, we really get into the crux of. In the art scene, what we're bothered about is the virtual why? Because that has a relationship with money. I wanted to think about the things that really kind of like made me so excited as a kid, whether it came to like, you know, reggae-based sounds of um, the Super Mario Brothers free soundtrack, you know, through to like the high octane, strange, but incredible recreations of like New York City streets within yes. Shinobi on the Sega Master System. I wanted to be able to open that up, you know, and I think even now, although gaming is, is of course, it is the, uh, the largest entertainment mm. medium, period. 
not just on a monetary level, but also culturally speaking. It's interesting how within art, I haven't seen anything like the gaming room. At the heart of that was to rethink education, to rethink everything that I'd been taught um, and even everything that, that, that I hadn't been taught, things that I, that I was even kind of like wondering about. So even when we go back to that title of Wayfinder, I'm trying to wayfind as well. And I, I, I hope that those who will take the chance and do me the honor of coming to the show will also be able to take something away special with them and share with others, spread that. And, and maybe that even inspires them to do their own spin or other things, et cetera, you know? That's a, a beautiful way to end this conversation and to think about all the different aspects in which art can be used to educate and inspire and it doesn't need to be linear and who knows how those children who have been through your gaming room this summer what they've been left with and how that was inspire them but it's been such a lovely conversation hearing your thoughts and your experiences and I really appreciate you speaking so candidly and openly because this is what we need this is what this research and report is about. It's people are going to be directly submitting experiences just like you've shared today, which would definitely resonate with everybody that's listening. So you've been so kind to share your experiences and your time. Thank you so much, Larry. Thank you. It's, on, it's been an honour. It really has been. It's been great talking to you. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that conversation between Larry and I. And remember that this research carried out by the Running Me Trust and Freeland is the first major research commission into race and inclusion in art education, which you can participate in by visiting the Running Me Trust website at runnymeadtrust.org and by searching for Visualise in the menu. And you've got until 31st of October. And remember, as Sonia Boyce says, if we can go to Mars, we can send more kids to art school. Until next time, bye.